Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. If it was a horrendous crime, why didn't I shoot them between the eyes, cut their penis off? People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in there. Uh, he was saving body parts such as uh, skulls and uh, skeletons. Welcome to this week's episode of Murdery. Uh, Alyssa's going to tell us about Chris Coleman. He, this guy's pretty interesting, you guys. I'm pretty excited to talk about him. Um, Chris Coleman was, I was going to say was born in, and I don't know when he was born. I didn't write it down. <laughs> this, this case takes place in Columbia, Illinois. It is a quiet suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Chris Coleman was into military training and things like that. So he went into military training for a canine unit where he met his soon-to-be wife, Sherry Coleman. They got married and remained married for 12 years. Sherry became a stay-at-home mom, and they had two sons, Garrett and Gavin. Uh, Chris kind of stuck with that military-type training, and he became the head of security for a woman named Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers is a Christian preacher who, she's pretty famous. Um, She traveled around, she travels around the country doing shows or preachings or whatever it's called, talking to people and spreading her message, I guess. She owns a company called Joyce Meyer Ministries. So Chris became the head of security for that company. Um, Chris felt that being her head of security put a big target on his back just because people didn't always agree with having a female preacher or the things that you know Joyce Myers was saying while she was preaching. Um, so he felt like that that put a big target on his back. In November 2008, he began receiving death threats to his emails. Um, He did report that to the police right away, but it seems like nothing really came out of that. And in January 2009, they received another death threat, but this time it was placed in their mailbox. Now, there was no postmark or anything on this, so someone would have had to come over to their house and like actually stick it in the mailbox, which I think is super freaky. That just shows... Like how brave this person would have to be to just That's walk up, brazen. Yeah, just to walk up to their mailbox. Yeah. Um, Chris and Sherry did have a neighbor who was a detective that knew about the situation. So this neighbor decides to be proactive, and the way that their houses are situated, the neighbor is able to put a camera in one of his children's windows, and he points that camera directly at the front of the Coleman family home, right at their mailbox. This camera never caught anyone approaching the Coleman home or the mailbox after it was installed, but it did catch a video on May 4th, 2009, the night before the murders, where Chris can be seen playing catch with the boys in the front yard. On this same evening, Chris and Sherry took the boys out for snow cones, and after putting the boys to bed, Chris and Sherry watched a movie together. On May 5th, 2009, Chris wakes up early and leaves for the gym at around 5.40 a.m., When he comes home from the gym, he finds complete chaos on his street. It's covered with police officers, and he realizes that they are all standing in front of his home. Um, Chris approaches his neighbor, who is the detective, and this detective informs Chris that his family did not make it. When police entered the home, they saw red spray paint on several of the walls. When they went up the stairs, they found a gruesome scene where three innocent people were dead. 31-year-old Sherry had been strangled with a cord, Then 9-year-old Gavin was killed, as well as 11-year-old Garrett. 
Sherry fought her attacker, and you could tell that she put up quite a fight because she had two black eyes. Uh, but the boys didn't have any sort of defensive wounds like they were fighting against anyone. That could mean they were overpowered or maybe they trusted the person that was injur- hurting them. Um, Chris was taken to the police station for a statement, which that's completely normal. Um, obviously, you're going to look at the family or loved ones first just to rule them out as a suspect. Well, yeah, and kind of like get some information of, you know, was anybody threatening your family? Exactly. Like, like they're going to have the best back information about the case, basically. So he states again that he left for the gym at around 540 in the morning. And while he was gone, it shows in his phone records that he called Sherry several times while he was out. He says it was to wake her up so that she could start getting the boys ready. Chris couldn't get a hold of her, so he called his detective neighbor to go check on Sherry. And while while Chris was being interviewed, I actually thought he was acting kind of weird. And I realized we shouldn't judge people when they're in this situation because how do we know how we're, we would act if our whole family was murdered? Right. You know, but he had he he wasn't asking the police what happened or how they were killed. Even when the police brought it up to him and and said, what do you think happened? He just sort of brushed by those questions and didn't really give them any information. Um, He also had scratches that were left on his arms. While he was in the interrogation room, he actually told detectives that he was really cold. He was still wearing his gym clothes. It was like a tank top and basketball shorts. So I can understand how you would get like chilly in the police station yeah and if you're sweaty at the gym and now you're now you're cold cold having worked at a police station that place was always freezing cold yeah i can i can totally see that so um they do end up giving him this small little blanket it looked kind of like a little white sheet but instead of like putting it over his legs or like around his back he just kind of wrapped it like around his forearm sort of where the scratches were Obviously, the police saw the scratches on his arms because they're not idiots. And when they asked him about it, Chris told the police that he had got those scratches the day before when he was taking a satellite dish off the roof of their house. Um, Chris also told police during the interview that they they had brought up the fact, you know, are you having an affair? Is there anything going on outside of your marriage that we need to know about? And although Chris denied having an affair, he did say that he was having a close friendship with his wife's friend from high school who actually it seems like they were fairly close i would say they were probably best friends from high school her name was tara lintz and she now lived in florida um the the coleman family had actually gone on a family vacation to florida and they met up with tara while they were there and sherry introduced tara to chris and to her children while they were there so so tara is also married uh, no, Tara's not married. The so, Coleman so, family sorry. introduced. Yeah, the okay. Coleman family. Sherry Coleman went with her family, Chris and her two sons. They went to Florida on a vacation. Tara met up with them there, and that's when Sherry introduced Tara to her husband, Chris. So um, Chris just insists that they're not having an affair, but they're just talking a lot. So uh, well, Chief, Ch- exactly. I know. Real shitty best friend. And also like. That's just like the classic excuse. Like, no, we're not actually doing anything. We're just we're really an emotional. Affair. We're really good friends. Like, eat it, Tara. Okay, like, come on. So anyway, Chief Joe Edwards is in charge of this investigation, but he only has two investigators. Remember, this is like a really small town, so they need help. So they called in a special unit, 
uh, Major Jeff Connor and the Major K Squad brought in 25 trained officers. So these officers decide they're going to contact cops in Florida to go speak with Tara. Fortunately, Tara is extremely cooperative with police, and she immediately gives them a BlackBerry and a laptop with photos and videos of her and Chris together, photos of them kissing, posing together in different locations. Um, Tara and Chris would state that their affair began around November of 2008, and Tara would say even later in November of 2008. Remember, Chris traveled for his job, so Tara would often uh, f- travel to meet him at the locations where he was working, and that's where that's how they were able to spend their time together. Um, so when news spread about the affair after the death of, of Sherry and Gavin and Garrett, um, news spread about the affair, and Sherry's friends and family just really lost all sympathy for Chris. People started to feel like Chris was guilty and that there was a lot of red flags that were surrounding him, not only the scratches on his arms, but even after these death threats that he was receiving through the email, he would still leave windows not only unlocked, but open throughout the house. Some of these death threats would would state like, your family is going to be destroyed while you're gone, and I know when you're home and when you leave your house, I know when that's happening. So if it was me, I would be like Fort Knoxing the shit out of my house. Yeah. And like I don't get death threats, but I still make sure I my, lock my doors. doors. Are I'm, I'm paranoid. Yeah, I'm a little scared. If my curtains move in the wrong way, there's an intruder. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm I am so serious. I'm really weird about. I walk past my back door that's glass, and I see and my you see yourself exactly. And I, I'm an intruder. I <laughs> like I literally scare myself peed all the time. my pants. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page with that. So. I just thought that was also super weird that he just leaves windows open and, oh, well, everything will be fine. So um, when, when, when the neighbor who was the tech detective installed those cameras at, on his house, Chris stated that he also installed cameras at his home. But when the police went to check those cameras, whatever the piece that is used for recording the video, that was missing, that's convenient. So I'm not really sure, like, what the hell, Chris? What is happening right now? So um, the neighbor's camera did not record anyone entering or leaving the house that night, the, the night before or the morning that the bodies were discovered. There was also no unknown DNA found at the scene. So any DNA that was found belonged to somebody that was in that family. So nothing else besides that was found. Um, they did, the officers did take Chris's computer and his cell phone, and they found several X-rated photos and videos that Chris and Tara had sent to each other, which barf. I saw some of the pictures and I was like, you guys should not be taking these photos. I like, I mean, <laughs> I am not like you do you, you do you your, do you, you do your, sexy I'm not going to be doing you that. Do your sexy pictures. I am not one. Who's comfortable doing that? I'm just not like, comfortable. My my thought is like, dear God, what if someone gets a hold of my yes. phone? Like I show pictures on my phone all the time. What if I accidentally send the wrong picture to or, someone? Exactly. Or I will like open my camera and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'll see don't, a picture. Don't, do <sighs> don't look over here. Like I don't want to have to do that. 
Also, I have four children, so the last thing I need is my children seeing my tatas when they're like <laughs> scrolling through my freaking camera. Yeah, photos. my seven year old okay. takes my phone all the time. Yeah, so. I don't. I don't need to have that conversation. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Okay, so they did find a lot of information on the phone, like those videos, photos. Um, Chris liked to write a lot of things down. It sounds to me like he has some sort of like digital diary. So um, he would Criminals write. Criminals and their freaking digital diary. I swear diary, to God, dude. I'm telling you what. I don't, it's so funny to it's me. It's like, I want to get caught. Yeah. Let's keep a digital diary. Um, This is the scrapbook of all of my crimes. So if you need to look at it, it's all here. So uh, he would write down things like her favorite color, her favorite foods, things that she liked so that he could like buy her gifts and stuff like that. Like, good for you, I guess. Trying to be a good boyfriend. Good for being a good boyfriend, you freaking idiot. Anyway, so um, they found a message that that Chris had recorded on November 5th, 2008, and it stated... It it recorded that day as the day Tara changed my life. That's what Chris wrote. This is the day where they gave each other promise rings. Barf. And Chris had even written down the name of their future first baby if it was going to be a girl. Not very many men do that. Men do that anyway, okay? So nine days after Chris records this in his computer, nine days later is when the death threats started. Oh, so he totally wrote those death threats. So, spoiler alert, we'll talk about that in a second. During the investigation, police got samples of Chris's handwriting, and they compared them to the writing that was in the in spray paint found on the walls. Get, you guess if it was a match or not. I, it was a match. It was, it was a match. So two weeks after the murders, Chris is arrested and charged with the first-degree murder of his wife, Sherry, and his two sons, Garrett and Gavin. Sherry's friends and neighbors were very relieved once Chris was finally arrested, but they were also really upset that not only had they lost their good friends, but they had to teach their children about death at an extremely young age also. So it was just a lot of sadness that Chris had caused, all because he wanted a new life and he felt like his family was standing in the way. Um, In April of 2011 is when his trial began, And I saw some photos of that time period, and he had to wear a bulletproof vest while he was walking into trial. And I just kind of laughed at that because I was like, this is how much people hate you. This is how big of an idiot you are. You have to wear a bulletproof vest so you don't get killed. Anyway, and we did talk about his hair, too. He's... In in the police interview, it's almost like a completely different person it looks, walking it into does. the courtroom. Because when he's in like the police interview, he's wearing like his gym clothes. He looks kind of like a muscly guy. He's got his head shaved bald. He looks like a gym rat sorta. And then when he goes to the trial, he's wearing like lavender and light pastel colored shirts, and he has this feathery hair now that's sprouting out and. Anyway, it, it does totally look like a different person. So Chris would tell, uh, you know, friends and family that he and Sherry did have a good relationship. Sometimes they would go to marriage counseling, but Sherry told her friends a completely different story. At, she would say at marriage counseling, Chris would say all the right things. But once they went home, he would yell at her and say hurtful things. But he felt like he couldn't get a divorce because the company that he worked for frowned upon that. So whatever that means, like... Why? Do, how do they I feel like have that's any a, in normal like um, strong Christian faith? Yeah, where they're like 
uh, divorce is frowned upon expect like but if you know you're served divorce papers from that's different your spouse that's different it's not like your fault. it's not your fault you did yeah. everything you could to keep the marriage together you're so, not the one who wants the divorce chris really wanted sherry to be the one to say i want a divorce and he also really wanted the divorce process to start before his affair with tara was discovered because his if his boss did find out about the affair he would have been fired for that affair um, Sherry, on the other hand, did find out he was having an affair, and she even showed friends photos of Tara saying, do you want to see the woman my husband is having an affair with? So I'm not sure how long she knew, but she knew that Chris was having an affair. Um, Chris even told Tara that he was serving Sherry with divorce papers on May 5th, which ended up being the day of the murder. But it was later found that he never even filed the papers or spoke with an attorney. So, so he was just lying. Serving a different kind of divorce paper. Exactly. So um, Sherry told her friends that Chris wanted a divorce. And if any, anything had happened to her, she felt like she was confident in saying that Chris had done it. Tara ended up testifying at the trial that her and Chris uh, were texting and talking constantly. They would tell each other, I love you. They had a wedding date picked out, but the divorce had to be finalized first. Dr. Michael Baden testified regarding the time of death of Sherry, Gavin, and Garrett. And Chris stated that he left for the gym at about 5.40 in the morning. But Dr. Baden believes that the three were already deceased by the time Chris left for the gym. He states that 3 a.m. is a more accurate time of death because the bodies were stiff. They had already gone into rigor mortis. Lividity was present in all three of the bodies. So he knew that they had been dead for quite some time by the time they were discovered. Um, and going back to the emails, no other employee that Chris worked with had ever received any death threats through email or any other way for that matter. And during the investigation, of course, officers need to look further into where these email threats are coming from. So they realize that the threats are being sent to Chris from his own computer. He is sending from a Gmail address to himself the death threats that started eight days after Tara changed his life. Um, again, there's no foreign DNA. There's no murder weapon. Um, it's thought that Carrie was, I'm sorry, Sherry was strangled with a cord. So that could have been on any lamp or mm -hmm. electronic that was in their home. You know, um, there's no eyewitnesses to the crime, but there is a lot of this circumstantial evidence. All of the information about the relationship and things like that, where there's nobody seen coming or going from the house. Um, there was one piece of evidence, however. There was a can of spray paint that was purchased at a hardware store that was near to the Coleman home. And Chris's signature was actually on the receipt for that spray paint purchase. Um, when jurors went to deliberate, they decided to just take a poll of what everybody was sort of thinking before um, really starting to deliberate. And it, they came out as 7-5 not guilty because they thought that he was, they thought he was guilty, but they were having a hard time just with only circumstantial evidence. They decided to do their own detective work, which I actually love the fact that they took out all the photos and, and the evidence again, and they're going to look over it again. And they find a photo that has a, t a date stamp on it. And the, the, the photo is a picture of Chris and Tara, and they're kissing. So obviously already having an affair when this photo was taken. The date stamp on the, t on the photo was October 21st, 2008. 
Chris had told us, remember, that the affair did not start until November. So that convinced the jury that if he could lie about that, he was probably lying about a lot more in addition to that. Um, Chris ends up being found guilty on all three counts and sentenced to three life terms without the possibility of parole. Chris says that he's innocent. He says he loves his wife and he was having an affair because he wasn't getting the physical touch that he needed from his wife at home, but he still really loved her. He, he did say there was no wedding date set, and he also said that he did lie about having the divorce papers ready. He told um, interviewers at a later time that he was just trying to forgive the person that killed his family and move on, which I thought was a really weird thing for him to say. Like, if you really didn't kill your family, you're in prison serving three life sentences right now. You really just want to move on? Like, that just doesn't sound... You're not sound. really going to move on anywhere. You're still going to be in prison. in prison, Chris. You killed your family. So he, it seems like he's come to peace with the fact that he's going to be in prison for the rest of life, yeah. and he can't change that There's nothing he's he can guilty. do about it, yeah. So that is the horrific story of Chris Coleman. Yeah. Bye. Bye.